0: I say to them, what is the voice of self-criticism saying? Because we have self-criticism on
1: speed dial. And the voice of self... and if we spoke to other people the way we speak to ourselves, we'd probably be
0: arrested. (laughs) (laughs) So we just say really awful things to ourselves. You know, like, of course, you stuffed it up, you're a loser, or get over it, or whatever. And then we think about, well, if we could cultivate a voice that was compassionate towards us, that was kind that had, you know, our very best needs at heart and that wanted the very best for us, but didn't always let us off the hook.
1: This is Reignited, where together we will meet interesting people who have a curious message for the world. They'll tell us about their experiences so that we can all reignite our lives. Hello, we're at the pod booth, and we are going to speak to a wonderful lady who has started a revolution which is all about being compassionate. So I want to welcome Mary Freer, who is a colourful, lovely, engaged woman. Um, And I look forward to talking to you, Mary. Oh, that's so nice, Bill. Hi. I'm really, really happy to be here. So we get our guests to choose some symbols to introduce themselves. So what have you chosen today? I love this
0: idea about choosing symbols. So I don't know which one to do first. But so the first one I picked was the glass half full. Um, because I think if I'm anything, I'm very optimistic and will generally see a glass definitely, you know, it's half full, not half empty. So I love that one. So the way you look at things? The way I kind of look at things, yeah. There's always kind of possibility. The other is this little symbol, which is a chair. And I picked that only because I've been experimenting lately with the idea of how you can put fear in the chair and uh, have a conversation with it. So um, I like the chair. And the last one I picked was, you know, you could have guessed I was going to pick it, but it's the love heart because I don't think we talk about love enough in public discourse and I think
1: love is really important. It's very, very important to me. And so is that part of the compassion re- revolution that you've started? Yeah, I think
0: uh I think all of these are, but yeah, I think the idea that we can notice the distress that other people are feeling and that we're experiencing and we can respond to that and that we can cultivate um love within organizations and communities and and that that it's okay. So I use the word, the four-letter word a bit more now.
1: The L word. The L word. (laughs) (laughs) So you've come from a background in in health and had got to an executive level Mm. before you took a leap. I know. Would you like to talk to us about what uh, happened there?
0: Yeah. So I was working in a large uh, national organisation and um, we had primary responsibility for really making some big changes around uh, healthcare and uh, determining kind of workforce and, and patient needs into the future. And uh, I actually thought I had been lulled in, I mean, I, I lulled myself, so, but uh, into thinking that if I worked hard, that I could clamber up the greasy pole, and if I got high enough, then I would have more influence because having some influence was really what I was after because I pretty much knew that our healthcare system was, you know, in bad shape. But I realised that I could get as high as I got, which enabled me to be able to meet with, you know, ministers and their advisors and um you know deans of colleges and um, presidents of um, you know various you know colleges and to sit in Canberra at the big table and have these conversations and to be talking about very big budgets and um, we actually weren't having much influence at all, and I found it really disheartening that we were just kind of I felt like we were going through the motions and I also felt that if I kept going, I would become disconnected from how passionate I was and I was really passionate so I made up my mind that I would leave and uh, go out on my own I started my own little company called Freer Thinking and then the story I love telling people is then the day came when I was you might have heard this story Bell, but the day came when it was my very last day I was going to hand my notice in It was my the day I was going to hand the notice in it wasn't my last day And I got out my little security swipe card. And as I swiped my card, I swear to you with a hand on my heart, seriously, I heard Bob Dylan sing, um, I shall be released. And when I heard that, I don't even know whether it was on someone's phone or radio or in my head, but I thought that was a clear sign that it was time for me to go. And so, uh, yeah, I jumped out and, and, you know, did a whole range of, crazy, innovative, exciting things that made absolutely no money and got very, very poor and
1: got used to it and, you know, it's the <laughs> best decision I ever made. That decision of jumping and being released, like Bob Dylan says, <laughs> what did that do for you? Even uh, though you made no, you said you'd made no money. And it was, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. It, what did it do for me in an internal sense, like yeah, to my or, interior life or what, what did it enable me to do?
1: Both. Yeah. Because you had you had that sense of passion and purpose for yeah. helping others. Well, when when you're not
0: reliant on who was it who said like the three main addictions in modern life are money, no, a regular wage carbohydrates. And something else I can't remember. What was. Anyway, so what I'm getting at is when you're not taking a regular wage and you don't have to answer to anyone, then you can take risks and you can try things out and you can be really, really nimble. So you can try it, you can get things going. So, so it gave me the confidence to make calls and do what I wanted to do. But the thing that I... I had originally decided I was going to be a consultant, but in the kind of weeks before I actually left that job, I had um, been having conversations with the NHS in the UK about what they were doing over there, which was a thing called Change Day NHS, which is a massive movement in the UK seven years ago. And um, they really wanted Australia to pick it up. So I was actually able to pick that up and say oh yeah yeah on behalf of Australia we're definitely going to do that and um I made that I turned that into something really really exciting and got people enthused and
1: So you talked about that in your TEDx talk.
0: Yeah. What was Change Day all about? Change Day was was really really simple. It was simply saying to people who work in health and social care tell me one thing that you can do that would make an improvement, make things better for your colleagues or your patients or clients. So um, it based on the premise that if we all did one small thing, we would create a lot of change. And also because there's this paralysis um, that I particularly see in government where people think there is nothing that they can do. And so they start waiting and asking for permission about ridiculous things and um so it was like the that was the kind of the theory behind it but lot, lots of people got involved they got involved really quickly I mean you know I'm talking I think in the end uh three year we were, I ran it for three years I think there's about 140 145,000 people had made pledges so
1: there were it was you know pretty popular and um and what were some know. of those standout pledges because that's amazing that it's a a simple activity for people, you know, a promise, a pledge, this is what I can do to make other people's lives feel better. Um, So what are some of the standout ones for you? Well, the ones that
0: really stood out, which is how I came to be doing what I'm doing now, but the things that really stood out were they were very two. either they were amazing because they were so innovative and it was like, wow, I love what you're doing there, how can I help – Or because they were so small but so meaningful, like people recognising just how toxic their work environment was. So I remember there was um, a paediatric registrar working in paediatric intensive care in Brisbane, and hers was, you know, when I go to work I'm going to ask people how they are and I'm going to wait for the answer because that never, ever happened where she worked. And she was like, how did we get like this? So that kind of thing where the light bulb goes off and we think, how did we get so disconnected? So I loved all of those um, people that, you know, just wanted to do things, just do an extra thing. There was a guy who was um, a ward clerk and he actually made a pledge and he wrote like quite a long explanation under it. And his was, it was something like, I don't normally get involved in things like this. I keep my head down. But from now on, if I see anyone who's lost in my hospital, I'm your man. Uh, And I just, I mean, I thought of Leonard Cohen's song. But anyway, I loved that. I loved that people were just like getting involved. And then there were amazing things, you know, where people were um, looking at zero waste and, you know, calculating just how much... Clinical waste there is in hospitals, and really turning that around, doing lots of nifty things around that. Um, people looking at noise control in operating theatres, and um, coming up with really great ideas that ended up, you know, really being quite influential. So it was the uh, both big and just I just humanity. Mm. When people said, you know, I'm I'm going to be a human. Yeah. I like that.
1: And I think that's one of the things that we're experiencing in our society at the moment. We're so connected through technology, but nothing beats that human connection. Totally. You know, like that that ward clerk, if someone's lost in a hospital, I've worked in a hospital, I've been in many hospitals, and they're rabbit warrens. You need to get to an appointment. It's stressful, it's a it's an environment. But to have someone who just says, Are you okay? Do you need help? You know what an incredible thing in that moment. I know they're just
0: they're places that you get lost in all the time. Mm. So um, yeah, and that they would take responsibility. Like it might not be in my job description, but if I see people that need help, um, I want to give it to them. Yeah, and I think that's really yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll come back to the toxic workplaces <laughs> and, and things like that afterwards. So you've started the compassion revolution. Is that about? being compassionate for others, or what is it actually about? Compassion
0: revolution is exactly what it says. It's like we need, right now we need a revolution. You just talked about at this time in the world and how connected we are around technology. We need, more and more we need to be connected to one another. So my definition of compassion is that it's the ability for us to be aware and to notice the distress and suffering that we experience and that other people experience and to want to alleviate or prevent it and most people think that compassion is only about noticing other people's distress but compassion is actually about noticing our own distress and noticing the distress of others and wanting to alleviate it and so um compassion revolution is uh it's a two-day conference it's um Uh, community of people. So I'm like growing this wonderful community of people across the world who are really um, trying to help us understand more about what compassion means and how transformative it is. And I love to say how muscular it is. Mm. So um, it, it will turn into a whole lot of other things. It will, there will be resources. We're starting to look now at different you know resources that would be really helpful for people and different expressions of um you know what happens when a whole lot of revolutionaries come
1: together yeah it's it's an exciting concept and and for me, as a therapist, you know I sit with people's distress quite often, um and you mentioned putting fear in the chair, oh, yeah, is that related to that sense of noticing your own distress or is it something different?
0: Ah, uh, probably, yes, I think probably that is true. Um, so the fear in the chair thing is really interesting. So I I got this idea from Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of um, Eat, Pray, Love, and um, City of Girls, and Big Magic, um, and probably a whole lot of others. But um, whenever we set out, so so you know, I'll go back a step. So Compassion Revolution, the conference is a it's a big deal for me because I financially underwrite the conference. Um, you know, we get a lot of people that come. We have speakers that come from overseas, and it's one thing to run a conference, but to own a conference, it's you know, it's a little bit scary. And so, I had heard Elizabeth Gilbert talk about when you um, when you decide that you're going to go on a road trip, um, which essentially putting something on or putting yourself out there is like a it's like a road trip. And so she she does this thing which I now do where I I sit fear in the chair. <laughs> And, um, it, it, you know, we have a conversation and sometimes I think you have to put fear in their place because they are welcome, like they're a welcome member of the family. You need to have them. I don't want to go through life and be fearless, um, but sometimes they want to have a little bit too much control. So the idea is that you can sit fear down and you can have a conversation like I had with fear just recently where I said, now listen, I'm about to do something that feels really incredible and I'm bringing your sisters creativity and courage with me. Mm -hmm. Right. And we are going to create this thing called compassion revolution. It's you can come on the road trip, but you have to sit in the back. Yep. Yeah. And you can't touch the radio. You do not get to choose the snacks. No one is going to show you the map. But you are going to do what you do really well, and that is every time we go around a bend, you are going to start screaming, I'm going to die, we're going to die. <laughs> this is going to fail. You're going to be broke. You're going to be broke. <laughs> and I totally get it, and you do it really, really well. So um, come on board. You're quite welcome. But that's the parameters. Stay
1: back in your chair. But,
0: but please, you cannot be in the front seat. Mm. And um, I, I found it really, when I heard Elizabeth Gilbert do it, I thought, This is great. I actually did it just recently. I'm sure I'm going to have to put fear back in the chair again and again. But it was like I don't want to not have fear. Mm. Yeah, it's important, especially when we kind of go into these things. We, we, need, a, we need to have, be able it, to fear. fear because fear. it
1: plays a role for a reason. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think what I really love about that is that fact of talking to it. And, yeah, And even, you know, asking it, what do you want me to know? What's happening with it? That's what I do constantly in sessions with people. It's not denying that it's there. It's just I need to take charge of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: so because um, I've got a narrative therapy background mm. and so the whole idea that we can interview um, things like fear and we can interview creativity and courage and we can be super sleuths and find out lots about, um, like when fear wants to show up. So I've been playing around more with understanding. Uh, I love that thing that you just said, like what is it that I need to know about you or what are you trying to tell me? Because I think um, these things show up because, you know, they really do want us to understand ourselves. And Yeah, and deeper. maybe
1: in the past it, it actually needed to be there to protect us and, and serve us but it's not needed anymore in the same role. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, still come on the ride. Just, well, <laughs> you're you know. part of the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and without fear, you know, love sits alongside that, um, which is what you're all
0: about. Well, you know, I mean, if, we've ever, if you've ever met anyone who's completely fearless, you wouldn't want to be alone with them in, the, in a dark place. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it yeah.
1: yeah. like crazy.
0: Yeah. So um, yeah. So that's anyway. I'm on a road trip.
1: Mm. Nice. Yeah, nice. So what's ahead on that road trip?
0: Well, we're I'm um, gearing up for. Uh, there's two things that are that are happening, but the one specifically that I'm kind of looking at, at the moment is Compassion Revolution, the conference, the two day conference. I'm going to hold it in Melbourne again. 13th and 14th of October, and uh, just looking at the moment around uh, this whole thing about how you craft a narrative over two days, and last year was the first Compassion Revolution conference, and it was so spectacular. So in a way, um, fear was like, you're never going to be able to do it again. Here it (laughs) is. So um, this is like, how do you not compare this year to last year but how do you create what it is that's needed at this moment in time and so there's a few um kind of interesting themes um yeah I can give you a sneaky like I can tell you who one of the keynotes is that nobody knows
1: it'd be great you know this is in the public sphere (laughs) (laughs)
0: they've actually said yes so I can say it but nobody knows this um so uh I'm really interested in the role that Um, sport particularly public sport plays in um, you know in our world and the way particularly men behave around sport and also some of the great ways that men who are who are kind of sporting heroes or notable um, use that in order to be able to do good in the world so I'm really pleased that Craig Foster is um gonna come and uh, he's gonna talk to us, so he's gonna be on in one of our sessions around um I'm, I think we might stretch it around his his work around um you know uh, releasing Hakim and and um and also his um as a hum- as a sort of activist his work around refugees I think. Uh, we we might stretch that in some way. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. That's but.
1: really exciting because at that time, you know, what he was doing was incredible, mm. yeah, for and another has, human being and the human race. And he has paid a price for it. mm Yeah,
0: so he's coming and um, he just sent me an email yesterday and said, Cool, I'll be
1: there. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm (laughs) coming now. (laughs) You're coming now. Yes. Come on, everyone. I was all going to come anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, there are some some amazing speakers. You talk
1: about the fact of paying the price. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in caring professions, Mm -hmm. uh, when we care so much, that the compassion fatigue can come in. What's your experience of that? Well, I actually don't think that it's compassion fatigue. Okay. What is so it? I have
0: a completely different take on it. And I think it it's misleading when we call it compassion fatigue because it makes it sound like it was the compassion that caused us to become exhausted. And it actually is, that's not what fatigues us. What fatigues us are systems that do not work the way they should, that are not supportive of the, the um, staff who work in them, that you know, promote and support people who are behaving badly, um, that don't pay their people the, um, you know, salary that they're entitled to. And we're seeing that everywhere now, you know. George Columbaris and Cole's supermarket and Target and, and then on the weekend I was at a symposium held by the AMA, which was around how do we address the increasing level of bullying Yes. And harassment inside healthcare, and um, healthcare, we're notorious for underpaying our um, registrars and our trainees, and for asking them to fudge their time sheets.
1: As to say, mm. and they're working ridiculous hours. They're working ridiculous and hours and high pressure. I'm mm. learning and need to mm. perform at the same time. Yeah, and how anyone with lack of sleep, yeah,
0: um, so can perform. They're, they're up working sleeping in their cars for a few hours and they're back on with there's lots of terrible stories yeah. but but then it, not only that the many organizations aren't supporting them to even get the right pay so um and I'm talking like this is a problem a global across, problem I'm across not many about industries anyone yeah. in you know adelaide mm. um but um so i just want to g- pop back to that question about compassion fatigue. Mm. So um, all these things accumulate and people become fatigued. They become stressed. They become worn out. They're exhausted. Their nutrition is poor. um, They're not sleeping properly at night. They get really tired and they cannot make empathic connections with people. They're not able to work at their highest level, their best performance. Um, a voice in their head which is all about how I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm never going to be as as good at uh, at this as I want to or I'm not going to make it through my training or whatever it is, of course you're going to crash and burn. Mm -hmm. And then we say, um, oh, yeah, it's compassion fatigue. And then we start thinking about, you know, um, yeah, that's what happens when you hear lots of, you know, sad stories no, that it's not just about hearing mm. sad stories. It's about not being supported to be able to... I mean, that's the whole thing around moral injury, that people are asked to do things in this system that is so counter to what they would actually want to do. What they really want to do is alleviate suffering. And there was a term I heard on the weekend, um, sloughing patients. It means you get the patient off your list onto somebody else's list. Okay. Yeah, so if you can just get them... Um, it doesn't really matter what happens to them, but if you can get them off one out of one department's, you know, so it's not that pro- pro- your problem; it's somebody else's problem, and that's successful. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things, of course, they cause us to become, um, you know, injured and burnt out, and and over disconnected it. and totally over it, and feeling like we're failures.
1: Yeah. So it's the structures actually around what you're passionate about and compassion. You know that you do in your caring role, um, that can be the thing that just dis- debilitates. Totally, and yeah.
0: you know studies have shown so we've got some evidence that tells us that when people actually practice compassion rather than sympathy, um, that it makes a big difference in in terms of how they're actually processing the distress that they're seeing. Yeah, and so compassion is really wanting to. It's really about kind of your focus is on what this might be like for someone when that distress is alleviated. Mm. So it's like, you know, like I always say at the end of my little podcast, you know, may you be well, may you be happy. So even in sending those thoughts out to people, it's an act of compassion.
1: Yeah. And it just struck me too while you are speaking that that sense of noticing your own distress. Why is that important? Because, you know, I don't think... Well, it's important for a whole lot of
0: reasons and I've just run the first self-compassion whole day workshop, which is a kind of new thing that I've started doing and it was, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. But if we are not able to notice our own distress, it's very difficult then for us to be able to measure and quantify and notice the distress that other people are feeling But also if we can't notice our own distress and speak to ourselves with self-compassion or treat ourselves with kindness, then very often what what happens is that when we do something wrong or when things go wrong, we either um, catastrophize or we are so hard on ourselves that we then hide from what has happened. So instead of being able to completely stuff it up and sit down with yourself and go, That wasn't your finest hour, Mary. Mm. You know, let's have a look. What happened there? we just like, I didn't even want to look at it because the voice in my head is just going to go, you are such a loser. And nobody wants to have a conversation with someone who's going to say that. So we actually become less reflective.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I know in the reflective space that I hold for others, the benefit of actually looking at it and go, what happened there? Why did I project all of that stuff and basically vomited it all out? Or why am I withdrawing? Yes. What am I not wanting to look at? Yes. Because by looking at it and being able to process it, you're then able to work through it rather than staying stuck in it. Absolutely.
0: And you can work through it with a whole lot of warmth and spaciousness and kindness. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a kind of prescription for who you are. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, we all, we're all, you know, being human is complex. Yeah, and we're not perfect. No, and, the, you know, that thing where people go, everything, you know, it all went wrong or it failed. Well, of course it failed. It's, we're humans. Mm. That's, that. yeah, I mean, get used to it. Yeah. These things do not, things are not always going to work out. And that's part of cultivating a more compassionate understanding of your own distress, mm. so how do we become more self compassionate well i've um because i've just done this little workshop <laughs> one <laughs> it's of special the, well, well, one of the things that um that we did at the workshop we looked at the voice that is in our head, and most people do have a voice that kind of runs in their head and when and I get people to think about you know a problem or an issue that they're experiencing at the moment that is causing them some distress, that is not debilitating. Uh, so it's not going to overwhelm them to think about it, but just to think about that and then to think about what is the voice of anxiety say to you about that. And people are really, it's like, so, you know, they're all agreeing with each other, you know, it's, it's going to be worse. It's never going to work out. This is all going to fail. And then I say to them, and well, what is the voice of self-criticism saying? Because we have self-criticism on speed dial. And the voice yeah. of self-... And if we spoke to other people the way we speak to ourselves, we'd probably be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so we are just say really awful things to ourselves. You know, like, of course, you stuffed it up, you're a loser or get over it or whatever. And then we think about, well, if we could cultivate a voice that was compassionate towards us, that was kind, that had, you know, our very best needs at heart and that wanted the very best for us, but didn't always let us off the hook. Right. Just like we are friends to our friends. Right. Yeah. And so we do a little exercise, which is something I've started doing um, this year, where we wrote a letter to our compassionate self and our compassionate self wrote back to us. Mm. And so um, we just, you know, like start the letter by saying, you know, um, I need you. And sometimes I'll start my letter by just saying everything has gone pear-shaped or... I'm in a really tricky situation. I need you now. And if we allow that voice of self-compassion to, if we sit and just kind of really cultivate that and amplify it, um, it's a very reasonable, loving voice. And it says, you know, I'm here. And you're going to come through the other side because you've been through tough stuff before and you always come through it. And some people even like to give it a name. And there was a woman who was saying her self-compassionate voice always refers to her as "honey." Yeah, <laughs> he says, "Oh, honey, don't yeah. worry." And so, um, yeah, I think that's a voice worth really cultivating. Mm. And the fear that people have is, "Oh my god!" Because I did the, I did this with a group of entrepreneurs last week—social entrepreneurs in Melbourne and I'm um, there like oh but then I won't achieve anything yeah and it's like no it's not your kindness towards yourself that gets in the way of you getting the next scholarship fellowship grant whatever um that's not what's going to keep you going that might it might be motivating you for a short time because it's elevating your kind of drive response but um if you want to run the marathon it's not going to be helpful yeah it's just going to wear you out. So you can be a high achiever and guess what? You can even be kind to yourself and be a high achiever. Wow. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, I feel like you and I, we're achieving plenty and yeah. I'm really practising kind of.
1: Yeah, see, even my voice just <laughs> kicked in there. No, just like, what, Mary? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I'm really, I'm giving this a red hot
1: try yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And it's so refreshing to hear that as well, though, that sense of, to normalise that everyone has their voice, but it's also which one is the loudest, which one do you need to bring through and how do you move forward with that?
0: How do you invite a voice that is more compassionate to actually, how do you give it the microphone? Mm. You know, how do you say to, to anxiety and self-criticism, I don't want to hear from you at the moment, right? Give me the microphone. Yeah. You've had enough airtime. Now, we want to hear from a much more um, rational sensible voice. It's the voice of self-compassion. Yeah. And everyone worries that it's going to say to them, you know, when they wake up and go, oh, I don't want to go to the gym, that the voice of self-compassion is going to go, oh, sweetie, just you get back in bed. <laughs> yeah. But it's not some kind of, <laughs> southern, be, burn, southern fair and friendly. Southern <laughs> Um mama. You know, what is the voice going to say? It's going to say, you know, this is something you really want to do. Mm. And, um, you know, you've set yourself a goal and I reckon you could really do it. Mm. So why don't we just get out of the car and get out of the bed and get in the car and get to the gym? Yeah. It's not going to just tell us, you know, go back to bed, don't worry about it, don't worry. It's, you know, the, the, it's, the fear is unfounded.
1: Yeah. And that might be another voice that um, is coming in anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, the
0: voice of self-criticism is the voice that says, yeah, don't bother getting up because you're not going to be able to do it anyway. Or I knew this would happen. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. knew no sooner I started going to the gym that I'd be a loser and I wouldn't get out of bed.
1: Yeah. I was trying to <laughs> prove that. See? See? Yeah. So we could talk all day about this. And I think the. Yeah, let's your do philosophies. That. yeah <laughs> I'm coaching someone yeah. like that today. So yeah. I think <laughs> we will have to go. Yeah, I. they may not agree yeah. with that. But when we think about all of these and we get back to the perspective, the fear in the chair and the way you see things and love. What's your message for the world? Like if you could sort of sum up and go, you know, what am I about? What do I want for the world? What would that be? Wow. Well, right now
0: in the world that we're living in now, um, I think we have such capacity to be able to connect with each other and care for each other and to love each other and to want what is good for each other. And and thankfully, I think I, I have a sneaking suspicion that capitalism is on its knees, and um, that's going to be kind of helpful. And so many of our institutions are just breaking down now, so that could be really helpful in this as well. But I would say to people, you know, Just that thing about remembering that everybody's life is just as rich and complex as our own Mm. and um, that I have this little thing that um, I often say when people drive me crazy and I just encourage people to step into this space where we just say, just like me, they're learning about life. Yeah. And so, you know, when the cashier is, you know, a bit snippy or whatever happens... You know, you just like, just like me, they're learning about life because there's a whole complex backstory um, behind all the things that people do and say. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. I certainly know that in my work with, you know, people who are perceived as having it all and everything's fantastic. And when you take that mask off, they're just like everyone else. Oh, yeah, I see it with CEOs all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, you get them
0: alone and um, the tears are at the start.
1: Mm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's just the boys. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just that thing of your message is really about let's just be human and realise that we're all human.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're and- all human and compassion is our natural um tendency. Mm. And um lean into that. Yeah. Just really lean into that. And be um, you know, be a resistance worker. You will get lots of opportunities where you can kind of do these brave, kind, and loving things, and um, yeah, do them. Yeah,
1: and is that an unconditional thing? Yeah, yeah, completely. Is that true compassion?
0: Uh, I, I mean, there's all different sorts of compassion. Mm. But I recently, I've, I, I prescribe things for people. I'm like, not drugs, but, um, <laughs> but I prescribe for a client who runs a. Um, uh, psychiatric emergency department recently, and it was totally not I think what this person was thinking might be good, but I, I it was like, what about this idea that your team just do these random acts of kindness for these people that are driving them insane? Yeah you know what about how what how wouldn't that be a great adventure? Yeah. Like you could just like leave muffins on their desk and things. And and it's like, no, I don't think it's going to completely change the personality of people that are just really hard to work with. But I think it could make working there a whole lot more fun. Mm. Yeah. We yeah. could come back, you know, to the
1: table and go, guess who I left a muffin for. Yeah. Or that thing of, <laughs> you know, like the person um, in the change day, Um you know, saying hello to people and asking how they are and actually listening. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be this huge thing, mm. um, but it can have such an impact. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for everything that you're doing, Mary. It's it's actually brilliant to see the humanness come out and, and for us to have that message that kindness and compassion is the way to go. So thank you for spending time with us. Thank you, Belle. My pleasure. Well, show notes and more information about my guests... And to get in touch with me, visit ignitearttherapies.com.au.